Hey, looking good. What is all of this? The world-famous Marwin, Mark's art installation. So that's the guy. Yeah, it's right up there. Some Nazi thugs jumped him. It's a miracle he survived. I was a hell of a good artist, and now I can barely write my name. So my dolls have to tell a story. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Toy Photographers Podcast, the official podcast of toyphotographers.com. My name is James Garcia, and I've got an exciting show for you this week because we're going to be doing a movie review of the new film Welcome to Marwin, which is out on home video now. And I'm joined by a special guest, Joshua Kittleson, who is actually uh, part of the podcast team now. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, James. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm glad we're doing this. I haven't recorded a podcast in like a month just because of how schedules have been. So I'm, I'm eager to get back into it and uh, chat with you about this movie. Yeah, me too. I don't know if people know this. I posted it on the blog, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Josh has gone from being a podcast listener to actually working on the podcast and now a guest on the podcast. Uh, Josh is the new podcast editor. Uh, he's taken over that job for me, which it has been a tremendous help. So Josh, thank you for doing that. And uh, welcome to the podcast team. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it's been uh, awesome to edit it and kind of get a behind the scenes look and feel for it. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. It's funny. And um, once I told my wife that you had volunteered for that, she was like, really? He's just just volunteered for it, huh? Like he knows you're not going to pay him or anything, right? So... <laughs> oh, so there's no checks coming? Uh, royalties later, hopefully. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, I'm excited that you're actually going to be on the show. Before we jump into the actual uh, talk about the movie and our feelings on that, I just wanted to ask you a few questions and talk to you a little bit about your own toy photography and, and your own work. Because I honestly, I don't even know that much about you. Most of our chats have been over uh, text messages or emails and mostly about the podcast. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I think you told me you work in audio. Is that right? Um, Not directly. I'm actually a... Uh... My title is a member liaison at the company I work for, um, and I work for a nonprofit here in town that we provide large print braille and audio materials to the blind. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Our company's super old, actually. We've been around for like 120 years, <laughs> and uh, once in a while, the highlights of my job are really jumping into the audio booth. Sometimes I record advertisements for services we offer. Sometimes I record audiobooks, just sort of whatever odd bits come up. If you call the company, it's my voice on our on our phone system. So that's what I do, and it's uh, it's pretty great. I get to basically talk with the members one on one, find out what their needs are, and find out if we have materials to meet those needs. And if we don't, then I direct them to other places that do. Yeah, that sounds like a cool job, and clearly, you know, that that's where your audio skills come in, and you've got a really good handle on that stuff. Um, what about uh, toy photography? I know you do a bit of toy photography yourself. How did you start doing that? I want to say four years ago now. Man, has it been that long? Uh, <laughs> it seems really quick and really long at the same time. Right. <laughs> uh, I saw some random, somebody sent me a link to a guy who did a stormtrooper picture a day for a year. And they were like, oh, I could totally see you doing this. And I was like, I don't know, that looks dumb. <laughs> and then like for the next three weeks to a month, I was like, I could do that. That's not, that looks like really, that looks like a lot of fun. And so my son had a birthday coming up and I started Craigslisting some action figures for him. And I happened to get a batch of 10 clone troopers, a three, seven, five inch scale. And I was like, Ooh, I should get those for my son. And then I was like, I could keep two though. I'm keeping two. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? We're going for it. I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to try it. It's a new way to push. I was feeling an urge to be creative and stuff. And I was like, this is a good way to do it. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. Um, I discovered some of the online community and, and things like that. And I just, I mean, now I keep doing it. It's, <laughs> it's been great. It's kind of exploded from just a, I, I say simple, but anytime you do a year long daily challenge, that's not simple. So it just, it went from that challenge of one picture a day of these, of these two figures to then I started adding in. I was like, oh, you know what? I've got a Boba Fett somewhere that I used to keep at work and so I dug that out, and then I was like, oh, Cad Bane's really cool. I need one of them. And then, I mean, you know how it goes. Yeah. And now I've graduated, <laughs> I guess you could call it, to six-inch scale. And uh, recently I just bought a 12-inch Boba Fett. And, oh, wow. 
I haven't dipped my toe yet into the 12 inch scale. I think that I, I'm already, I'm still just trying to get a hang of like six inch. And even when I, I'll get a figure that's like seven or eight, it, that throws me off. Cause then I have to kind of rethink which lenses I'm using and how I'm shooting and all that stuff. So I think 12 would just totally throw me for a loop. I haven't done a lot of shooting with him yet. I just, like I stood him up and was like, all right, quick shots. Let's just see how this feels because this is so much bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, and it's it's weird how that little bit of scale throws you off too. Like I have a four inch uh, solid snake figure that I love, but I don't shoot him very often because his scale feels weird to me. Hmm. And and he's just I mean he's a quarter inch taller, but it throws me off. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it messes with you know all the accessories you might use and even uh, any like backgrounds or or uh, setups or dioramas or anything like that. Just that that yeah. change in scale can totally mess you up and. It, which is fun to experiment with, but it can be challenging for sure. Were you interested in toys as a kid? Like, did you play with a lot of Star Wars stuff as a kid and then stop doing it and then have gotten back into it now? How, how has your relationship with toys been over the years? You know, as a kid, I played with anything I gave my hands on. I mean, and it didn't have to be action figures. Like, my mom would get these weird... I don't know if it was like a 90s thing, but she'd get these weird perfume things and it came with like a plastic box and I was like, can I have that? And she was like, I guess so. And then, <laughs> boom, I had like a little ship or, uh, you know, a fort for depending on what figure uh, I had. And I was big into um, Ninja Turtles for a long time. I had a couple of the guys. I always wanted to have like a complete set when I was a kid, of course, but I never had all four turtles. Hmm. But I did have a Yasagi Ajimbo and uh, Casey Jones, and those were like uh, kind of my favorites. And then after I saw – I discovered Batman – that became my big thing hmm. um and i had that uh that batman with the like telescoping no telescoping is not the right word it was the utility belt that had like a zip line built into him oh uh-huh i think i had that too yeah it was kind of a funky thing and i had a couple of batman figures and i just i mean really anything that just looked cool though like that was that was cool mm-hmm. and it didn't matter really what it was i had like a random he-man figure i had a bendham's darth uh, Vader that I had, I literally found it on the side of the road as a kid and I was like huh this looks interesting and you know boom I had Darth Vader I had like yeah. one uh, Beast Wars guy and anyway I just whatever looked cool I was like that I could play with that it didn't matter what it was now that you're doing photography are you kind of looking to branch out and to other toys and stuff like that that you might have been interested in as a kid or you still kind of stick around in the star wars realm how how is that progressing um i'd say it's predominantly been star wars uh star wars has just been a huge milestone periodically for me i think um it was you know a way to connect with my dad when we didn't get to spend much time together it's been a way to um, connect with my brother they were generous enough to feature some words that I said or wrote, I guess, on the on the blog the other day for Star Wars Day about my brother being in basic. And so all of my letters literally start with hello there <laughs> because that's I mean, that's my brother. Nice thing. Um, and Obi-Wan's his favorite character. So but yeah, for the most part, I just I guess really now it still is whatever kind of seems cool. Of course, I like to get figures in things that I like. Um, so like I have a. Uh, Solid Snake, like I mentioned, from the Metal Gear Solid video game series, which is, as far as video games go, my favorite series, period. But then I have a couple of Marvel guys, just because they looked cool. Like, I don't know much about them. Uh, Like, I have a Silver Surfer, and I'm like, huh, he's cool. He has a surfboard, and he's silver. That's, I mean, (laughs) a little on the nose, but then again, as in everybody. Surprisingly, I don't have any Batman, Hmm. actually. I think I might have a Lego Batman somewhere, but... uh, so yeah, I just it's kind of all over the place, but it's been mainly Star Wars lately, and I've been really getting into. I switched from six inch for a while, and I've been doing Lego scale. Oh, uh, nice! Which has been just its own incredible journey and set of problems with <laughs> lighting, and they're so shiny that you're like, oh, this is yes, this is more frustrating than I thought it was going to oh, be. Oh, they're so reflective. I just like the corners of their their heads, you know, uh, just right. reflect the most random things around i'm like where is that window light coming from if the window's shut you know they're just uh i i don't even know how they just attract light i recently got a filter uh i can't remember what the specific filter type is called now totally space in that uh but i got a filter that basically blocks reflections oh nice Uh, and that's helped me out a little bit like a, a lens filter 
yeah yeah and i got it like on a whim it came with like a i use a pentax 50 millimeter or i either use that or i use a 30 millimeter macro and so i looked for a teleconverter on online and the person that i bought it from threw in like a bunch of random filters and close-up filters and I was like, well, what's this do? Well, what's this do? <laughs> and I found that that helps out a little bit. All right. I'll have to look into one of those for sure. I think uh, polarizing filters, is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, have to look into that. And if any of our listeners use them, uh, I would love your guys' thoughts in the comments on this blog post for this episode, because uh, the more things we can do to, to, to combat those reflections, the better. <laughs> Switching gears to to the main topic today, uh, we're going to be reviewing Welcome to Marwin, the new film from Robert Zemeckis. I think it came out in, around December. Was not a very well received movie. Didn't do very well at the box office, and only made thirteen million off of a thirty nine million budget, and only has a thirty three percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. Which Rotten Tomatoes isn't the be all end all of movie reviews or anything, but it does. It is disappointing to see. Uh, that it got such a bad reception. I was really looking forward to it uh, leading up to its release, and then once once everybody was kind of lukewarm on it, I, I waited until the home video release. So you actually suggested that we talk about this film. How excited were you for it when it was coming out, and why did you want to talk about it on the podcast? Um, so, when the, of course, the first thing that I saw was, ooh, huge name Steve Carell is doing toy photography. Like, that's going to be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And then I started digging into a, the story of Mark Hogenkamp, and I was like, "This is this is amazing! Like, this is a ridiculous thing that, like, you would think it wouldn't even be a thing, but it's a thing." And I was like, "This is going to be great." See, I don't see a ton of movies in the theater. I'm always like, "I don't know if I want to spend the five bucks. I'll rent box it later, <laughs> you know, you know, whatever a movie ticket is now." Uh, but I had a friend who was in from out of town who I kind of uh, got into collecting and toy photography to a, to some extent. And I was like, dude, we have to go see this. And he was like, all right, yeah, let's do it. And so we did. Uh, personally, I liked it. I thought it was great. Cool. Yeah, I liked it too. And we can get into the specifics in a bit. So were you not familiar at all with Mark Hogenkamp's story before the you saw the movie? I was not. I'd uh, never heard of Hogenkamp or Marwin or Marwin Call, I guess. The documentary and the book that they have about him were all completely new to me. I tried to stay spoiler-free, so I just kind of read the quick synopsis of his story about how he basically lost all of his memory, and to cope, he took pictures of toys. And mm-hmm. I and that's where I stopped the review or the, the comparison at first, and I was like, I want to see the movie and just kind of enjoy it as it is, and then I can you know, decide other stuff later. I had seen some of his most famous photos. Like there's that one of the two soldiers like in the mud and one of them's carrying another soldier on his back and he's turning and and firing at somebody off screen and kind of yelling. That's probably his most iconic photo. I had seen that and I'd seen some of his work, but wasn't familiar at all with his story. So when the same kind of thing as you, when the movie trailers came out, I was just like, oh my God, a movie about toy photography. And then I started diving into the true story and and was really surprised by it. And obviously, you know, saddened by it because it's such a tragic story, but also an inspiring story. So it's, I I totally get why they decided to adapt it into a film. I thought it was uh, also interesting that toy photography was getting placed on, on such a big scale like that, you know, on the big screen, that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. And, uh, I think you and I both just watched the documentary too, so we will discuss that. But, you know, I wanted to go into this review just basically in, in a couple phases. Um, at first, just how is Welcome to Marwin as a movie? Uh, you know, is it an enjoyable experience if maybe you don't know about his story? And then uh, how do we think of it as an actual adaptation of his story and then in comparison to the documentary? Just right off the bat, you said that you enjoyed the film. So uh, just briefly i don't and i don't know if we have to worry about spoilers too much because it is based on a true story and it is something that i feel like a lot of our audience might know about but just in case um just basic impressions how did you think of the film uh basic impressions i thought it was shot really cool uh going into it i was afraid that they were gonna be like look at this weirdo and this ridiculous stupid hobby he has I, like i was always a, like a little bit apprehensive that that would be the the slant uh, but I didn't find that to be the case, really. It was just, here's this guy and his story, and here's a little bit about why he's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it really was, it was great, I thought, the way that they represented toy photography as a whole. Um, but the movie, I thought it was shot well. The the visuals and the transitions from 
the figures he was shooting to the real life, I thought was was a really cool bit of cinematography. It was very clear that it wasn't like Toy Story. Right. You know, it was he was doing these things. This is his imagination. And a lot of some of the transition shots were just amazing, I thought. Yeah, I would totally agree. That's that's one thing I was really curious about the film going into it was how is it going to balance that those two things where you're seeing half of the movie is about Mark and his story and it's obviously live action and then the other half of it is taking place actually in Marwin Call and focused on his his toys and and the the amazing town that he's built. I will say that I was a little mixed on the movie when I saw it yesterday. I, I just watched it last night and I was a little bit mixed on it. And then watching the documentary today kind of made everything shift into focus for me and I understood a lot more of it uh, because the film does do a lot of jumping between the CGI uh, adventure stuff with the toys and then the live action uh, real story and, and how sometimes it kind of blends what's really happening with what might be happening in his, in his imagination and it's kind of vague and which at the time I thought was kind of a, a messy thing from a storytelling perspective but now that I understand Mark and his story a little bit more it makes sense to me that that's kind of the point that those lines are blurred and we are kind of jumping back and forth and that what we're seeing is in his imagination and the stories that he's creating overall I enjoy the film now more I think now that I've understood a little bit more of his story and and I definitely think it's a movie worth checking out especially for people that are toy photographers because it's you know obviously it's a story about one of us and and a story about the power of toy photography and how you can use toy photography as an outlet to deal with trauma and I just think it's it's an amazing story and definitely worth seeing yeah me too so yeah, we can jump into specifics now as far as like plot or anything like that. But uh, I will say if, if people haven't seen the movie, definitely go check it out. And if you haven't seen the documentary, well, uh, just I think it's just called Marwin Call. Uh, definitely check that out as well, because that's that's an amazing movie. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Were there things in the in the film that jumped out at you or, or um, characters or anything like that that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect exactly because Robert Zemeckis has kind of this really broad spectrum of movies yeah. that he's made. <laughs> you know, some of my favorites of all time, of course, but also just so I just I went in and I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen here, which was kind of a great feeling nowadays. I feel like most movies I go to, I know what to expect. Right. You know, um, I know what to expect from a Star Wars movie, a Marvel movie, any of those. But when I went in, I did not expect the action figure bits to be more like a Tarantino movie. Yes. Yeah. It's super violent. Yeah. I was really surprised. I was shocked. And like, so I'm, as I'm in the theater, I'm looking around and I'm like, huh, there's some definitely senior citizens in here. I hope they're not getting like shell shock from this. Cause you could <laughs> yeah. tell a lot of them were like vets. And I was just like, Oh boy. <laughs> but it was good. I thought it all, I thought the, the violence had a point though. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, I'm not super into, like gratuitous uh, violence for the sake of it necessarily. If it's part of the story, you know, then I have a pretty tall threshold for just about anything. And as the movie went on, it just, it became more and more clear that that was his internal rage that he was letting out for his situation. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks about how he used to draw and now he can barely write his own name. And I can't imagine like being able to look at a picture and being like, I'm told I drew this and here's my name now. And I can't hardly get it out. And just the frustration that that would build. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, absolutely. I I thought the same thing. And just how even, you know, he'll look at photos of his of his life or photos of him when he was younger or his past marriage. And he just doesn't remember. And um, I, that is just a terrifying prospect to me, just not remembering anything from your life um, before the the attack um, for people that may not know, I guess we haven't really talked about what the movie is about and what Mark's story is. Um, so just basically the, the IMD plot summary for the movie, a victim of a brutal attack finds a unique and beautiful therapeutic outlet to help him through his recovery process. And I like that that's super vague, but if you know Mark's story, that, that totally makes sense. But basically uh, Mark was uh, in the year 2000. I forget exactly when it happened, but he was in a bar and uh, was harassed by five guys in the bar, and uh, they ended up beating him 
so badly that he ended up in a coma for nine days and then was hospitalized afterwards and lost pretty much all of his memories and is still struggling with the, the trauma of that and the effects, you know, that that has had on him. And to cope with that, he turned to toy photography and he created this amazing little town called Marwin Call in on his property and photographs these um, kind of look like G.I. Joe's, I guess, but just these, you know, 12 inch scale uh or one sixth scale i guess uh figures and he's turned himself into this uh action hero named hoagie and the the town is all populated with these female dolls and female characters which uh, when i saw the movie the first time or you know when i saw the movie itself i thought it was a little strange the characters that he had created and the fact that they were all based on real people that he knew and and the movie doesn't really over explain all that stuff it just kind of throws you right into it it's really subtle yeah it is yeah like there's a there's a, a figure that he in his world has died and so he has like a special box uh like a casket basically that he keeps all the dead characters in but then later you find out that that's somebody who had moved away and so it was like this subtle thing of oh that's how he's dealing with the loss of that person is he killed them in marwin and you know, buried them. And so here they're not there anymore. And I was like, I was like, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of sad. I mean, but also amazing that all of his life in some way is like reflected in this town. Yeah. That he'll take, as you said, just kind of like that, that rage that he's feeling and he, you know, brings that out in his toy photography and creates these situations where he can work through those, those feelings and emotions. And, um, that I think in the movie, the movie itself, I think, was a little muddy as far as depicting him working through that trauma, I guess, especially because a lot of the story has to do with him kind of falling in love with a neighbor character and then also this impending art show on top of this impending uh, court hearing that he needs to attend to, to talk about the men that had attacked him and, and all of these things are kind of converging at the same time. Those things in real life happened a little more separated but I get that in the film they kind of had to just cram it all into like this is just the craziest week of this guy's life. Um, so I think that yeah. without knowing the true story the first time I saw the movie it all felt a little muddy to me. How did you feel about how it kind of went through his story and depicted how he was going through all these things? I definitely think the storytelling could have been just a little clearer, but at the same time, it also, I also felt like maybe that was an intentional tool because throughout the movie, this is, I guess, major spoiler, just heads up anybody who's made it this far, um, uh, you know, towards the end, you find out that in his mind, the way that the drugs he's taking that are supposed to be helping him are like amplifying his anxieties. And so he quits and things become a little bit clearer and he has better perspective and stuff. And I was like, oh, so everything leading up to that, that's why it was confusing. That's why some of this wasn't clear. To me, it seemed like a layered bit of a way to tell a story. Uh, probably not how I would have told the story, but <laughs> nobody asked for my opinion. Well, I guess technically you did, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was definitely some points where I was like, I kind of, I really wish that they had focused up just a little bit and been like a little bit more clear in the movie that he's dealing with his traumas with the photography right and it and it wasn't even about getting good pictures or great pictures or you know social media or anything like that he literally was taking these pictures with a film camera and then printing the pictures and then that's it yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's it's funny how much the the photography aspect of the film is kind of secondary to everything else going on the movie's more concerned with who he is as a person and his relationship to the people around him and, and kind of leans into some of the quirks about him, you know, like that he collects women's shoes and likes to wear women's shoes and stuff like that. And I could see how somebody who isn't familiar with what toy photography is, um, doesn't know that there's a huge toy photography community out there, doesn't really know the story of who Mark Hogenkamp is. I could see just like a general audience member going into this movie and being so confused and conflicted with all of the crazy stuff happening um, just because the film focuses on so many different things. But yeah, I was surprised with how, how secondary the photography stuff was. And I kind of wish it leaned a little bit more into that, as you were saying, like, tell us how he's working through it, how he's using it to work through his trauma. Uh, I feel like there were, you know, a few scenes of him taking photos, but most of the movie was concerned with 
either what was going on with him personally or showing us the adventure or or characters happening in in the actual town of Marwinkal, which was all handled through like CGI toy photography, stop motion esque kind of stuff, which um, I think was an, an actually an interesting choice because for Mark, this stuff is actually happening. You know, it, his imagination is creating all of these stories. The documentary is great because it shows like photos that he's taken and then over the photos he's doing a voiceover and talking about the story and the story is very much like i met this person we you know this happened uh, i was kidnapped by these ss officers from the nazis you know and then they tortured me and the women showed up and just how in-depth all of his stories were i like the idea that they used the cgi action figure stuff in the movie to actually tell some of those stories that he had told with his photos it just kind of took those stories he'd come up with and brought them to life in a new way i thought that was really an interesting choice yeah i think they could have done the something to maybe make that a little more clearer just like with the transitions um because you do he's he almost always has the camera with him um but uh, i just think the way they transitioned from his life and then how he projects that they could have done something where it's, you know, goes through the lens or something like that. And then it, that's how it transitions into, you know, the CG stuff or something like that. And I think that kind of would have made it maybe just a little more clear. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I, I would agree because I, I kept thinking like, why are we spending so much time in Marwin call with these, you know, plastic dolls and like, what is the, what is going on here? And I didn't really understand that this is his imagination at work and we're seeing an actual physical manifestation of the stories that he's creating. And yeah, I, th- I think that telling us that a little bit better or, or showing us that in, in a more interesting way, I think would have helped and maybe would have made the film easier to swallow for, for people that aren't familiar with this kind of thing. It's kind of an interesting concept I was thinking about. Would you qualify this as a biopic? Oh, interesting. Um, I don't think so because a lot of, a lot of Mark's life is handled kind of off screen. Like he's already taken a lot of photos. He's already got this art show coming up. He's already gone through the trauma. A lot of what we're seeing is like flashbacks and stuff. And um, the movie kind of ends in a place, uh, I guess it ends kind of where the documentary does just after his art show. But um, I don't know if I would call it a, a biopic. What, what about you? Um, I think, I think I would personally, I probably put it in that category a little bit. You know, it is about his life and that's, what his life consists of now because of everything that was taken from him. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, with the loss of his mind. And I was just thinking about that through that lens of, okay, if this is a biopic, there are so many issues with making a biopic. I mean, you look at like Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, which was a great movie and I loved it, but it didn't have a focus. Hmm. Like it was just all kind of over the place. It didn't really focus on the music. It didn't really focus on Freddie. It didn't really focus on the band. It tried to cover all those things. And so although it was great and I loved it, and they even rearranged parts of like their history that were seriously major. And when I told people, like I was like, oh, that didn't happen like that. They were like, oh, man, that really makes me mad because of the way that they set up the movie. We're far enough out. I, I'll just – we'll drop the spoiler. For example, like in, in the movie, they make it seem like he does the Live Aid show because he has AIDS. Hmm. In real life, he didn't find out for like two more years that he had AIDS. So it was just like that really kind of nerfed some of the point of the movie. But it's hard to tell those stories. It's hard to cram somebody's life into a two-hour movie. Right. And I felt the same the same thing about Welcome to Marwin. It was like, man, there's so much that you could like flesh out, different ways that you could take it. And so from that perspective, if you consider it a biopic, it really rides that fence pretty mm-hmm. good if you consider it a biopic it's one of the best i've seen because it had a specific point to it you know it was like this is his life this is he had a life we don't know what that was because it was taken from right him. because he doesn't know what it was either yeah. so yeah 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 you've kind of convinced me i think it it is a pretty good biopic actually and um i changed somebody's mind on the internet <laughs> yes <laughs> that never happens <laughs> so what did you think of um the movie itself, I think we both found entertaining and a fun watch, especially if we hadn't been familiar with Mark's story at all. After seeing the movie and um, watching the documentary, how do you think it compares as an actual translation of his life and, and what really happened to him? Well, as far as accuracy is concerned, I think it's as equally accurate as you're really going to can expect. 
I mean, anytime you take anything and make it a Hollywood movie, there's there's changes. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's a true story or like a book adaptation or even adapting another movie. So I think from that perspective, I think I I was pretty happy with it. That just the, there was some little bits of storytelling that I kind of wish maybe they'd taken another pass through the editing process um, to make a few things more clear. But I thought it was reasonably faithful to the overall th- spirit of Mark's life as it is now. I would agree. And, you know, I kind of talked about this earlier, but just the some of the characters in the movie and some things I thought were kind of strange at the time in the movie, like the relationship with his neighbor and that he immediately puts her into into his town and makes a doll out of her and kind of falls in love with her and eventually pr- tries to propose to her and, th- and that all kind of crumbles. And I thought that was kind of weird at the time. And then watching documentary found out that that actually happened, that he did have a relationship like that with a neighbor and that, you know, they kind of exaggerated some of the things or dramatized it a little bit, but that that actually did happen to him and some of the other storylines and characters were things that they had pulled from real life but just kind of exaggerated and and i i thought they did a good job of doing that and i can understand from just a a filmmaking standpoint why you would condense some of the things that you condensed or dramatize some of the things that they did so i think that you're right that as a, a depiction of of how his story is and how his life is i thought it actually did a pretty good job and and did it respectfully too without I think it could have easily been like, oh, wow, look at this weird guy who likes to wear women's shoes. Yeah. You know, it. I feel like it's really sympathetic to him and shows and humanizes him and, and shows us, you know, makes us sympathetic to him. Yeah, absolutely. Even though he has some of those, like you said, weird kind of weird quirks, it kind of became clear after watching the documentary that they borrowed heavily from it for the movie for certain mm-hmm. bits. You know, when they're talking about, uh, he's like, he goes home and he's asked his friend, he's like, hey, what are, do I have a girlfriend? And he's like, no. And he goes, well, who's, whose shoes are these? Because there's like, I forget how many, like 280 or something. Yeah, 218, I think he said, something like that. Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, whose shoes are these? And the guy's like, well, they're yours, Mark. And he's like, huh, okay. And he just kind of rolls with it. Yeah. I, after I watched it the first time, I felt like his backstory was missing. And like I would have expected that from a Hollywood adaptation a little bit where they would you know, have him in his normal life. That way you could really see what was taken from him, but not knowing and only seeing the snapshots in in the movie later. This is almost a movie you have to watch twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's how he lives. And um, I, I, I did think it was interesting how they, as I said, just kind of picked and pulled some of the real life things and took lines or scenes or something from the documentary and kind of reimagined them for the the actual movie. You could tell that they, they definitely watched the documentary a few times and got a feel for it that way. I thought it was cool too, after watching the documentary, like the real life action figure of Mark Hogan camp looks really similar to Steve Carell. Right. It does. <laughs> and to the figure that they made of Steve Carell. And I was like, wow, you could put those next to each other and be like, Oh, it's probably just you know, a different copy. This one was at the beginning of the mold and this one's at the end. But definitely <laughs> the same figure. And I was I was really kind of surprised by that. That took me back a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about the actual toy parts of it because we've you know we've talked a lot about the live action side but at least half of the movie takes place actually in marwin call with these action figures the movie even opens up with uh his action figure in a plane going down and and crash landing and and then running into some nazis and working his way towards the actual town and um what did you think of all of those cgi scenes and how they depicted the actual action figures come to life i thought it was great i liked that it didn't have a fluid motion like people do that you could tell that it was still you know stiff not quite barbie stiff but definitely like like you said earlier almost like a stop motion feel to it that was just really smooth but definitely not human mm-hmm. uh, and that was really cool and I, it sunk in later that 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 was his fictionalized backstory because he felt like he didn't have one and so that's where his story started was you know crash landing and stuff um and how soon they introduced the wearing of the women's shoes was yeah it's like two minutes into the movie (laughs) yeah and he's like huh i'm gonna take off these combat boots and put on these high heels and it was like what that doesn't make sense (laughs) okay where are we going with this right and it was just like it was just it was just great like they 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 kind of had that that was one bit of the storytelling that was great they did the heels and then like 
later on in the movie they talk about him wearing the heels and i was like oh okay so i get it now yeah it all makes sense yeah it is it is kind of it makes me think of what you just said about watching it again because now that we know where it's going and what they're they're using from his real life watching them lay the groundwork for those things earlier in the movie i think would make a lot more sense and you'd see kind of where they're going with some of that stuff i, I thought the figures are great and i'm almost disappointed that i can't find like the Steve Carell version of the hoagie figure. Cause I was like, that'd be cool. I'd shoot that. That's a, that'd be, that's how I should get into the 12 inch scale. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I thought, um, all of the toy stuff was actually really well handled and, and cleverly handled. I like that. Occasionally they would kind of joke about the fact that they were toys, like a figure would fall from a clock tower and, and hit a little like spike on the ground and the figure would just kind of break into a couple pieces and you'd hear this like plastic sound and it would totally take out the drama from the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and then it just kind of reminds you like, oh, no, these are supposed to be toys, you know, or I remember there's a point at, at one point where a character was trying to I think it was one of the Nazis was like trying to reach for a gun and couldn't reach. So he takes off his toy arm. <laughs> so and uses, you know, uses that to, so that he can reach a little bit farther. I thought things like that were actually really clever and um, something that that was really fun to see peppered throughout the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I kind of wish they had done that they did do in the documentary is he shows the, in the documentary, he's shown the guns and how like the slides work and the clips work, which was a level of detail I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I thought that would have been a cool thing to slip into the movie as he's talking to, uh, to anybody. And he's, they're like, Oh, is that a new figure? He's like, yeah, check this out. You know, like that would have been a nice touch too, just to remind you how detail oriented he was making himself be. Mm hmm. For, for the purpose of recovering his motor skills, too. And I thought it was cool how when he was uh, posing the figures, too, you'd see him make these, like, little tiny adjustments, you know, which I was like, ha I know what he's doing. That's me yep. right there. Yeah, he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, really early on in the movie, there's a point where he's got a few figures set up and he's trying to photograph them and a truck drives by and kind of just makes the whole scene kind of vibrate and all of his toys just topple over and he gets, he's like, ah, and I was like, oh man, how many times has that happened to me <laughs> where you finally get something all set up and then it just crashes or figures fall over it. So I liked all those little touches and, and that's something I wish they had leaned into a little bit more was showing his actual photography process. And yeah. like you said, the amount of detail, like in the movie, he just kind of goes to a, a toy store and buys the toys. But in real life, you know, he he does that but he customizes them and creates clothing for them and and makes you know changes the hair on some of the barbies and stuff like that to make them look more like the people in his life that they're supposed to represent and i thought they kind of just skimmed over that stuff in the movie i think there's one scene where you see him he's talking about how he like washed the new character's hair and like brushed it but like it was just it was really really quick mm -hmm. uh, and in the documentary it's uh uh, it's way more in depth than that. Like he tucks them in at night and he says good night to them. And it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And like when he gets a new figure, he kind of hugs them and, and, and welcomes them to the town, you know, and, and I would have liked to see a little bit more of the detail for the town itself. Cause in the documentary, you know, he talks about the fact that, uh, the main center of the town is like this this nightclub that he has created for himself and that his character owns the club and that his character even carries like a briefcase that has a little miniature version of the deed to the club, you know? So he's like, yeah, yeah to, for proof that I own it. Yeah, I liked all those little things that, w that we learn in the documentary and the fact that uh, there's a, I forget what the, what he, what the, it's like a mannequin shop or something in the documentary that we see. And I don't remember seeing that in the movie, but anyway, there were a few more like buildings and stories about the town itself and why he had created certain things that I wish they had had time for in the movie or, or had spent a little more time developing or talking about some of the, the details in the actual town itself. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Um, I did notice uh, it, it, it occurred to me after watching the documentary, you see the Mark Hogan camp is like, because of his mind wipe, basically, he's very childlike. Mm -hmm. He says things in the way he talks about, like having a crush or girls. He gets giddy, and like as an adult man, that's not something you see from dudes very often. I mean, you do see it, but not very often. And usually, if you do, it's uh, you know a little creepy. Usually, yeah, uh, <laughs> or or at saying. least comes off as creepy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but in the as I was watching the documentary, I didn't get that at all. It was just 
it reminded me of being in like fourth or fifth grade and you were like oh yeah i really have a crush on you know when you and you try and be tough but at the same time it just it didn't work and i was like oh that would be a really hard thing for an actor to do i mean mm-hmm. steve Crow is great he has he has more range than we give him credit for i think yeah i agree um but i could easily see them trying that with him and then being like "Ooh, nah, you came off a little creepy there dude i think i think we're gonna just not do that yeah <laughs> so i was i was like Oh, that would have been great if they worked that in to just show his mental state a little bit better. Um, because there isn't really that baseline. It's like, what does that mean? Like, he has no memories. Like, how much of yourself do you have to rediscover? Uh, right. And they, they, they do brush on that in the documentary. And in the movie, it's it's there, but it's so subtle and so skipped over. And, you know, like like you said, I think that would have been cool if they'd worked in that. You know, he's hugging the, the new figure to... Um, to welcome them i also thought it was interesting how in the documentary most of the time they're called dolls Mm -hmm. and it's like so if people give me a hard time when they're when they want to poke fun at me they're like are you playing with your dolls again josh and i'm like they're action figures (laughs) (laughs) they're highly posable collector's items (laughs) right (laughs) you know but in the movie in the in the documentary they're just like oh yeah i'm getting a new doll and you know they're gonna do this and this and this and then you see the pictures they're taking and you're like yeah i don't know if doll's the right word but you know whatever man yeah yeah and he even calls them dolls you know he's like yeah this is my hoagie doll and and yeah, yeah I, I i i liked that and um i i did think steve grill did a good job but that he was kind of underserved by the script of the movie uh because i think some of what he's doing as Mark does come across as a little strange or a little weird. And, and when you see footage of Mark talking about those same things, it, it doesn't feel that way. It feels more genuine and you, and you sympathize with him a lot more where Steve Carell doing those things, it did kind of feel like a performance and not having seen the documentary yet. I, I kind of kept thinking like, God, is he really just like going for it here? Or is he, you know, being a little, kooky or crazy like what's what's going on but i i understand a little bit more now what he was trying to do and how he was trying to portray mark and some of the things but overall i I thought he did a good job i thought the whole cast was was pretty good i was watching a a little bit of like behind the scenes stuff right before we started recording and they did a lot of motion capture for the actual doll stuff which i thought was really cool and especially because the dolls look so much like the actresses portraying them that was a really subtle touch i thought that was true to the real life mark and his criteria and how he would look for figures and dolls that look like people he knew and mm-hmm. if he just saw it he was like that's close enough they're exotic that's uh what was the name he had for one like mediterranean pam or <laughs> uh, i can't remember her name now but it was it was a name like that and it was like and he she held her up and she's like yeah this is me and i was like is it <laughs> Yeah, some some of them look just like the the people, and then some of them don't. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's true with action figures in general, toys in general. It's like it never really looks quite like what you're going for, but it's close enough sometimes. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that the the movie kind of ends the same place with the documentary does with this art show that he that he did. I wish that we would have seen a little bit more of that because the movie kind of just shows a few clips of his photos and and doesn't really show anybody really looking at them either, just kind of like walking past the photos and and the movie just kind of ends a a few minutes after that. And I I wish that we had seen a little bit more of, as we mentioned earlier, just the photography aspect and like what was it like for him putting on this show because the whole movie... Uh, in Welcome to Marwin, he he's pretty much ignoring the fact that he has this art show and he doesn't want to go, doesn't want to go, and people are pressuring him and calling him every day, be like, hey, are you coming? Which I get, but in the documentary, we saw a lot more of his internal struggle there and why it was really hard for him to go into the big city and do this art show and how nervous he was at the actual art show. And, and I, w- I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the art show was definitely uh, almost the culmination of the movie where he had he was like euphoric almost through the art show as opposed to being terrified about how to interact with people mm-hmm. and yeah i think that would have just that would have really driven it home the whole thing if he was you know super awkward around them and um, i did like how they had him at least in costume at the art show mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was that was a really awesome touch um the other thing that I couldn't believe that they put into the movie, but that I absolutely love that they did was when he's talking about weathering the truck 
Mm-hmm. So he's got this truck that he pulls around with his with his figures in it. And the reason he pulls it around is because he's like, well, I bought the truck, but you can see the seams on the wheels and it looks, you know, like a plastic truck. And I'm going to put a lot of miles on this thing to get it to look right. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a great way to do that. Um, I have to borrow that, actually. That'd be great. Yeah, I think uh, in the documentary, he says that he's walked like 180 miles with that Jeep. He's like, I put 180 miles on this, which is 1,080 miles at one-sixth scale, which I really like <laughs> that he's done the math and figured out how far that Jeep has, has driven you know, around town. I, I, I thought that was great. I did think the end of the movie was a little, like I get that it kind of had to go for the Hollywood ending of him being euphoric about this art show and him kind of coming to terms with all of these things. And I thought, I thought the movie kind of ended at a place where like, he's better now. Like he gets rid of all of his meds. He's moved on from the neighbor he was in love with. He might fall in love with this, this new woman. Um, and he's, you know, really happy about this art show. And, and he went to court and, and took care of that. Like, I feel like it, he kind of checked all of the boxes and is now on a, on an upswing and going in a, in a good direction. Whereas in real life, he's still dealing with a lot of these things. And maybe he has come to terms with a lot of that stuff. I don't know much about how he is currently, you know, um, but I, I thought the movie maybe did a disservice there um, yeah. as far as showing those things about him and not, not really telling us how he, he is actually doing. I did see um, an interview with Steve Carell uh, when he was promoting the movie and he was talking about how he still has like a relationship with Mark Hogan camp, apparently I, I go ahead and according to Steve Carell, I was looking for something. I was hoping I could find one from Hogan camp commenting on the movie. But, um, I mean, after watching the documentary and even the movie, he's very private mm-hmm. and shy. There was nothing, but Steve Carell says that Mark really loved it. And was like dragging all of his friends to it. And, oh, nice. So I was like, Oh, that's, I mean, that's good. I liked that. At the very least, Mark Hogan Camp isn't like, oh, I'm going to sue you guys because that was, you know, misrepresentation or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I, I was wondered that after I finished Welcome to Marmon yesterday, that my first thought was, I wonder how Mark feels about this. Right. You know, like not only how they portray him, but just his story being out there because he is so private. And something that we see in the documentary is that he has some reservations about doing the art show and talking about his toy photography as art because he had never really thought of it that way. In fact, he like threw away a lot of his negatives when he was done photographing them, you know, and he would send them off to get developed. And if they came back overexposed or underexposed or something, he would just retake all of the photos. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't approaching it from that artistic standpoint at all. So... I, I was very curious like how he would feel about the movie portraying him as an artist and talking about that and showing it to such a wide audience. Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, it kind of raised my own questions too for how I look at what I do uh, mm-hmm. and like toy photography as a whole and hobbies in general, really. You know, I mean, we always say, well, I always say I do this for me. You know, I do this because I want to create something or I want to tell a miniature story or um, I just had an idea. I wanted to. I love how Christina says it. She says, make a photo. Um, and I love that better than taking a photo. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make a photo. Um, but it's for me. But also, I'm still going to post it on Instagram. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> because, because I want you to see it too. So there's like that aspect of it. And it was for him, it was just truly, this is what I'm doing. And I built this town. And then I thought it'd be cool. I should have this little shop over here. And here's the church. And, you know. Yeah, and that he was taking and developing thousands of photos and just keeping them to himself, you know, in a box, you know, and and when the actual director of the documentary discovered him and Mark showed him some of the photos, he was surprised with how many there were, you know, because he had just been doing it solely for himself. He even said he didn't believe him. He was yeah. like, he was like, I asked him how many he had. And he's like, well, I got thousands. And he was like, yeah, right. And then he was like, oh, he's got thousands. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which I like. I like that, you know, he is doing it purely for himself. And yeah, it made me think a lot, too, about the nature of being an artist, you know, quote unquote artist, or just being somebody who likes taking photos of toys. I think there was even a great quote in the movie where he's talking to uh, Leslie Mann's character who plays the neighbor. And um, she's like, oh, my God, you're you're an artist. And he just says, oh, no, I, I'm just taking photos of toys. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you've took like I have said that to people, you know, Um so just the idea of is what you're doing art are other people going to see it that way are you doing it just for yourself can it be both things i think it can um so i i like that the movie did touch on that stuff a little bit um as we've said i wish it had leaned into the photography aspect a little bit more but i do like that it kind of shed a light a little bit on that and and how 
people might feel as toy photographers. It reminded me of, of the uh, of the film days too. Of like, man, the idea of just taking, putting in all that work of subtly adjusting everything and doing your best to get it right in the viewfinder, and then imagining having to mail it away because it's two thousand. So he didn't probably didn't have one hour photo at that point. I think at that point it's he had to mail them to Denver, I think, and then get them back like three weeks later and be like, oh, that wasn't good. I better redo this. I just yeah. feel like that would drive me nuts. Yeah, especially like I personally, I love spending time um, doing post-production on my photos. That's like where I feel like my photos really are born and come to life. Like capturing the photo is just like the first step. And then once I take it into Lightroom and Photoshop, that's where I really thrive creatively and, and can bring my photos to life and do what I want with them. So the idea of not having control of that process at all and trusting someone else to develop the photos and what you get back is what you get, you know, um, that was, I, I can't imagine doing that as, as an artist myself, that would just drive me crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I even tried, uh, about the time I decided to get like a, uh, I don't want to say a real camera, but an actual dedicated camera versus using my cell phone around that time I had found my, uh, my old film camera and I was like, let's do this. And so I started taking pictures with it and like Mark, my light meter doesn't work. Hmm. And in the documentary, it was funny. Cause I was like, Hey, I have that same camera. <laughs> um, and I was like, I feel that pain of not having that light meter work and being like, well, let's hope this comes out. Yeah. And then I got my pictures back and I was like, well, this is garbage. I'm not doing this. I'm, I, I need a digital. I, I could see that for sure. Um, one thing I, I also love too in, in the movie and the documentary was Mark's photos. Like we see a lot of the real photos that Mark had taken, especially in the documentary. A lot of what I, one of my favorite aspects of the documentary was how we would see basically like a slideshow of photos and Mark telling us the story of, you know, Hoagie's latest adventure, I guess, or, or him getting kidnapped by Nazis and then saved by the women in the town and how the women then tortured the, the SS officer and stuff and how detailed a lot of his photos were and how how many photos he would take to tell one specific story. I thought that was amazing because for me, I, I try to tell my whole story in one photo. And it's, yeah. it's rarely the case where I'll add multiple photos to something. So the fact that he is working through this story and taking so many photos to, to illustrate that. I thought that was amazing. And, and the photos that he's taking are just so good and so unique, especially even against everybody else in the toy photography community. I feel like no one's doing the same kind of stuff that he's doing, which just shows how personal it is to him. Yeah, absolutely. I thought too, the speaking of like the photos and as he was showing the people in the documentary, there's a scene where he's, showing him to who I, I guess I thought was his lawyer and he's looking at these and he's like, so how is this going? Like, is it, are you still in therapy? And he's like, no, it, there's, there's no therapy. He's like, it's just this. And then the, his lawyer goes, is it helping? And he's like, I think it is. I think it is. It's good to let these emotions out. The violent negative emotions I have out on my alter ego and to, to shoot this and let it all, be here and then move on from it i was like as i was watching the documentary i was like that's the scene right there mm -hmm. that's the scene that they should have put in there right before he goes to the art exhibit they could still have a hollywood ending but right like, that's the bit they should have put in there and i think that would have tied the entire movie together for me yeah, I agree. I feel like the movie itself tried to be more like, oh, see, he's interacting more in the real world and that's making him better or, or something. And, and I feel like they should have leaned more into his art as therapy and how that's going for him, especially because so much of the, the movie was focused on what was happening in the town. And, and I feel like they could have done a great job of, of showing us the people in the town saving his alter ego and then also him using that story process to, to help save himself or make himself feel better about these things. And it's one of those things that makes sense once you think about it and once you know his story, like the real story. But for the movie itself, I agree, they should have had a little bit of that before they jump into the, the full on Hollywood ending. Uh, it was kind of interesting too, as I was thinking about, I was like, man, so Mark Hogancap has like the ultimate Sigfig collection. Yes, <laughs> he does. He's got this guy that represents him, and he's, I think Steve Carell constantly refers to him as me, or like, this is me. Um, and in the, even in the documentary, he says a lot, this is my alter ego. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and then you know how he has the figures for everybody i was like oh that's that's great that's like a whole that's like a whole other realm of like the level of making a sig fig because i've only seen like one other person make one that wasn't a lego uh but i was like that's cool maybe that's how i'll get into 12 inch uh, yeah. Maybe I better be careful. With that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before you know it, you'll have a whole town built in your in your front yard, and you'll be taking photos. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it sounds like we both enjoyed the the movie and and really enjoyed the documentary, and um, I I definitely think they're both worth seeing, and and I think they make a for a great double feature. I I kind of wish I had done it the other way around and watched the documentary first and then watched the movie. That way. I wouldn't have been as uh, just surprised by some of the things in the film and confused by by some of it. Whereas uh, once I knew the the actual story, all those things kind of came into focus for me, and I, I like the movie a lot a lot better now that I've seen the documentary. Um, yeah. So so how about you? How how is your relationship with with the two of them? I think now that I like I bought the movie, I liked it a lot. I liked it that much that I bought Welcome to Marwin. I'll probably buy the documentary now that I've seen it. Um, they should have paired them together, like on the Blu-ray. Yeah, that would have been great as like a double fe- or a special feature or something. Yeah, that would have been that would have been the best thing. But overall, like I said, I really I really enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. It's uh, it's great to watch multiple times. Watching them together is definitely if you have the time to like belt out on a Sunday, like do a double feature or watch them in close succession to each other because they do. I think they both prop each other up. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they kind of complement each other really well. Um, yeah, I, I wish that they had been paired together. So, um, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen either one of them or hasn't seen both, definitely check them out. Um, we highly recommend them. And, uh, Josh, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking through the movie with me. I I, I like it even more now that we've we've discussed it. <laughs> yeah, it's it was pretty great. There's, I mean, there's honestly, I... I love it. I could probably talk another three hours about it because I just, there's so many fun little subtleties in there too, that you don't, uh, that I didn't catch the first time Mm -hmm. and not, not just with the story, but just like how he, again, just like a toy photographer, how subtle you have to be when you're setting up those scenes and how careful you got to be. And, no, his hand needs to be rotated just a just a tiny bit towards him. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there's a great shot towards the end of the documentary where he's um where his hokey figure is taking a photo of I forget who the figure is, but it's the the woman that he calls his wife. You know that that he's like married this this figure in his in his mind, and um his hokey figure's taking a, a photo of her, and he's and he sets them down, and he st- takes a step back to take a photo, and then comes right back and kind of adjusts his head just like a millimeter or two. And then, and then he's like, okay, that's the shot. You know, just, I thought that was just a great touch and something that um, I can definitely uh, sympathize with and, and see in, in myself. I do that all the time. So I liked seeing him as an actual photographer and I would love maybe like a follow-up documentary or something like how's the town grown now? Like what kind of stories is he doing now? I think that yeah. would be really interesting. I thought it was cool in the documentary too. Like I just, I couldn't stop laughing when he's like, oh, so I gave my alter ego a camera and now he has a little Jeep that he tows around and he's got like <laughs> yes. little figures in there too. And I was like, I don't know where this is going to end. Like I want a whole other sub thing about that. Right. It's just going to keep uh, scaling down and down and down. It's it's like a Matryoshka doll, you know, one of those Russian yeah. dolls that you open up and there's just smaller dolls on the inside of each one. That's, I think, I feel like he's going down that road. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This was a really fun chat. And uh, where can people find your work online? How can people get in touch with you and uh, find your toy photography so you can find me on instagram at the gray cleric that's g-r-e-y-k-l-i-r-k um i was really into mortal Kombat for a long time so i went with k's instead of c's um i'm on miwi under the same name or joshua kittleson um i have a blog spot where i post super sporadically um and i ramble on about all kinds of stuff sometimes Sweet. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, even though people won't hear you every week on the podcast, your fing- your fingerprints are all over this thing now as you're editing these episodes together. And you now get the distinct pleasure of editing your own voice on the podcast, something I had to do for like 55 episodes or something. So uh, <laughs> that that's, that's going to be fun for you. So <laughs> good yep. luck. Yep. I've done that before. It's always an interesting experience. You're like, ah. Oh what is wrong with my voice right here yeah (laughs) i sound like that i say um that many times Uh, yeah yeah. thank you for coming on the show um we'll get you back on in the future for for another episode i'm sure but in the meantime this was this was a lot of fun thank you yeah it was thanks for having me appreciate it and uh well i guess i'll see you on the internet 
Thank you so much for listening. You can find new episodes of this podcast and daily articles on creativity and toy photography on our website, toyphotographers.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also ask that you please leave us a five-star review. That'll help spread the word about the show and help us get noticed. You can find us on Facebook at Toy Photographers and on Instagram at underscore Toy Photographers underscore. Music for this week's episode is courtesy of freemusicarchive.org. And finally, you can reach out to us with comments, concerns, recommendations, etc. at toyphotographypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next week.